welcome to a very special episode of Then Again Podcast. I'm Libba Beecham, the now interim executive director of the Northeast Georgia History Center, because today we are saying farewell to our current executive director, Glenn Kyle. Uh, we've got on our, on our panel today, we've got me, of course, and then Glenn, of course, but we also have Marie. Hello. Marie is our education director who's been here for what, like two? Three, three actually. Years? Yes, oh. in May it'll be three. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And Leslie Jones is also our archives and collections manager. And Leslie, how long have you been here? In May it'll be five years. Five years. Yeah. yeah so we've got our, the staff who's been here the longest to sort of reflect on Glenn's time here. And of course, Glenn, I know that this will be a sad farewell, but also an exciting farewell. Um, I'd love to just start out today with talking about your story as a museum professional, but perhaps we should first start with the ending. You are transitioning <laughs> to a new career. <laughs> so big question, why? I'm so scared because there are so many different reasons. I personally just, you know, you get, I, I have lots of anniversaries this last year. Yeah. I turned 50, 25 years of marriage, Woo. 15 years of the history center, Woo. and I feel all of those things yeah. uh, in all the good ways and all the bad ways. And I think when you start hitting those, hitting those milestones, you start thinking, what have I done? What does it all mean? Where do I go from here? Is it the same? Is it different? Uh, and so I had one of those midlife existential crises going on and uh, so that that's the personal reason yeah that's that's sort of the personal impetus for making this change yeah the professional and institutional impetus is y'all have been here for a while I've been here a long time and at a certain point if you're truly introspective and know yourself as Socrates tells us to do I think I have reached the point of being able to take the History Center as far as my particular scope of practice and skill set will allow. I think it's time to step aside and let some other people take their own, take the bit in their mouth, the reins in their teeth, uh, <laughs> and, and see what they can do with this place. Professionally, that's sort of, and it's it's all a big mixture of those, like you're making a big cake from a bunch of ingredients. Right, right. So. And and it's, you know, it's it, it all makes sense and it's totally understandable. And it's a, something that I think we can all really respect that decision because it also gives us an opportunity to think about the future, but with the foundation that you've already laid out. So today I'd love to just go back in time and sort of give our listeners your story as a museum professional, especially for those who are curious about the museum field. I know for me, I, I it was sort of thrust upon me uh, as a as a theater major back in college, you know, just volunteering for a museum, learning about living history interpretation, and, you know, that opportunity being just sort of offered to me. But for you, I mean, where did the professional side of your museum career begin? That's a good question. I think it was sort of a default, almost, because I loved history. Always loved history. Wanted to do something with history, professionally, that wasn't teaching. Right. <laughs> uh, and that kind of, that takes out, you know, the bulk of what most people who, who go into get history majors and things do is, is teach history. So I'm like, okay, so that means I'm going to work at historic sites or museums or teach college level stuff or something like that. Well, teaching at the college level requires further degrees. I wasn't going to do that immediately. Mm -hmm. That was not a desire or in the cards. So I'm like, well, I'll just, 
I'll check out some museums. So like everyone else, I'm like, oh, I'll do an internship. Mm -hmm. And I did an internship at a museum in Alabama called the Carlos. I'm sorry, that's not the Carlos. It's the Berman. The Carlos is the one in Atlanta. The Berman Museum of World History is in Anniston, Alabama. Of world history. That's yeah, cool. <laughs> it's, oh, he was, oh, he was an interesting guy. So he was old Southern gentleman yes. who came from Southern money uh -huh. and was in World War II as a counterintelligence officer and mm. went everywhere and did lots of things oh, okay. and began to, as Indiana Jones would say, acquire rare antiquities. <laughs> uh, he focused on military history stuff, but he got all kinds of stuff. And there were things there that shocked and amazed the museum professionals that worked there. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, the guy who was the curator was named Gordon Blaker. And Gordon was a retired military guy, so he was all about that. But he was also very professional, and he gave me my first shot at museums as that intern. Nice. And I just went on from there, get, finished my history degree at North George College, and then was an excellent house husband for about six or eight months. Nice. <laughs> uh, because I was looking for something. Yeah. And then a position at the Atlanta History Center opened that uh, was an exhibits tech and lots of people put in for that, but I, I got the job and I later found out why. Because I was the only candidate who possessed both a history degree and an intimate knowledge of power tools. <laughs> well, that's important. And that's you are important. an exhibit technician. So, yeah, thank, you know, thanks, thanks, Dad and folks for teaching me how to work on stuff and build things. Yeah. So they, need, they, they wanted people who could build things, but also sort of had a, at least some kind of academic background. And so... That began eight years there at the Atlanta History Center Wow! as an exhibits tech and then head of the exhibits department and then as curator of military history. And my buddy there, Gordon Jones, it's always Gordon's with me. <laughs> and I'm still close to both those Gordons and was there. And long story short, as nonprofits do, even the big ones, sometimes they had some financial troubles and there was a great purge. Yeah. And I was part of the great purge. And then went and did consulting work, which means you pick up any job that you can. Right. And did that for a year and a half. We installed all the objects in the new world of Coca-Cola down in Atlanta. Oh, wow. And then a co-worker of Priscilla's, my wife, said, isn't Clint looking for a museum job? I found this ad in the Gainesville Times looking for, you know, help wanted museum director. <laughs> Inquire within. Yeah. And put in for it. And that's when it began here at, yeah. here at the Northeast Georgia History Center. So on the topic of beginnings, I think all of us have some, uh, probably a similar beginning to like either starting as an intern or a volunteer, kind of dipping our toes into the museum world. Marie, where, when did it start for you? How did you get into museums? So I had seen this documentary about, basically there was like a living history summer camp that I wanted to go to, but it was in Tennessee. Ooh. And my parents said that was too far. <laughs> oh, wait, how old were you? Uh, like 12, 13. Okay, okay yeah. <laughs> so my parents were like, there has to be something that's kind of like this here. So we ended up, We my mom would always take me to museums and historic sites because I love that kind of thing. And she also did. So I was like, yeah, let's go. Yeah. So we ended up touring this one old house museum one day and they told us that they had a junior docent program. Ooh. And this was a house museum where you got to wear costumes in oh, the house. Cool. So I was already intrigued. Yes. Uh, I remember his, it was Mr. There were so many like wonderful people there who helped me get my start kind of like with historical costuming. There was Miss Martha who sat down and she had a binder full of carte de visites and she would go through and point out what like was a good outfit. What's a carte de visite? So it's a certain type of old timey photograph. Oh, that's yes. cool. 
so it's not like a daguerreotype. It's not a metal. It's on paper. Okay, yeah. Um, but she just had binders of these things wow. and like pointed out like, so these are the details that you want to do for your dress. And like, that's what we have here. So you were um, looking at like actual historic photographs to make these dresses. And mm-hmm. like, oh, that's so neat. I love that. So then I, I made them to wear at this historic house at Stately Oaks Plantation down in Jonesboro, Georgia. And that's where I kind of got my start as a junior docent and volunteered there all the way. Like I, I started in like seventh or eighth grade, did that pretty much all through high school, but then it got way too far for me to drive back to college. Mm-hmm. But my freshman year of college, I'm also part of a historic dance troupe. And I met the former director of education here, Ken Johnson. Yeah. And I had just decided I did not want to be a lawyer um, <laughs> because I was trying to figure out what to do with my history degree. Yeah. Good was, choice, Marie. Yes. <laughs> and I was there for about two months. Yeah. And I was like, ooh, I don't want to do more school. Yeah. So let's look at some other options. And the museums popped up. I was like, oh, I always love museums. Like, I've worked at a house museum or volunteered at a house museum for years. So I ended up doing this dance program with him, and we got, you know, paired together or whatever. And at one point, he talked about how he, I think he actually had just started at the History Center oh, okay, yeah. when I had met him. And I said, oh, I'm so interested. That's almost like that's exactly what I want to do when I'm in college. I'm looking at that. So he's like, oh, well, come to our family days. Come help out, out those. And I was like, fantastic. So then I did. And I stayed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you started out with us as, as a volunteer and then an interpreter or just right off the bat Right off the bat, I was an interpreter. Nice, I nice. apparently was that impressive. Well, well I, I <laughs> definitely believe that, yeah. Because I, I think that, you know, it, it wasn't long after you were an interpreter when I got here. So yes, was, yeah. I think we actually almost coincided at the same time yeah, as we started yeah. here. Because I remember I was like, oh, who's this new person? Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, now it's serendipitous that you are now our education director yes. here. So it's such a, a beautiful trajectory. Yes. <laughs> now, Leslie, when did it start for you as far as going into the museum field as like a career decision? I've always wanted to work in a museum. I was either working in a museum or doing archaeology. And I realized, you know, after a certain age, you can't really do archaeology unless you want to teach. And I did not want to teach. I see. (laughs) So I wanted to do museums. I couldn't afford it at the time. So that's when I started my art business. Mm -hmm. And I saved up enough money to go back to college and get a degree in history. Um, And while I was there, my advisor told me about the History Center. And so I came in for an interview, a very formal interview for Glenn. And I interned here three times. And then I also volunteered for a year. And then after that, the, you know, you guys started helping me keep going here. So I got the social media job and then I got the front desk job. And now I have the archives job. Yeah. So I moved yeah. Up. yeah. And, I, and I, I don't know, Glenn, would you say that's a fairly typical kind of experience? Because that happened for me as well, sort of starting at the volunteer level and then going, up to director of communications right. like within two years. You know? I, I don't want to say that is universally right. true, but in my experience and observations, it is very common. I think especially very in common. small museums in yes. particular. Well, you know, and even, even when I was at the Atlanta History Center, you know, there were people who would come in and would come in as interns from Kennesaw State or West Georgia College or something like that. And then within two or three years' time, after they'd graduated, they got hired as assistant registrars and things yeah. like that. Or, uh, But yes, it is it is very common. You know, apparently, from our old comrade David French, apparently that's how law works, too. At a certain point in your law degree, you go do an internship over summer with the type of law and probably the firm you want to work mm-hmm. with. 
Turns out it's probably the same for museums right. too. And and yeah, all three of us around this table, there's four of us. <laughs> um, three of you, four of us have had that experience. Yeah. And I think that is that's why whenever anyone says, Well, how do you how do I get into museums? It's like, it sucks, but go volunteer. Right. You don't get any you don't get paid as a volunteer usually. You very frequently, especially for smaller nonprofits, don't get paid for the internships. You're lucky if you get class credit, but those sort of things not only give you the skills that you need to develop to become a museum professional, they give you that all-important social networking foot in the door. Yes, because especially, you know, as a people who now we have our own interns and volunteers, that trust and that sort of, you know, proof that they are learning these skills, that they have the enthusiasm that you have for um, the mission, it's, it's really important when making a hire. So it totally makes sense. So, uh, I mean, that was the similar experience for me. I was in college as a theater major. I volunteered in, uh, at the National Civil War Naval Museum doing photography first. And then when I saw that they were doing living history, I was like, wait a second, <laughs> I can do this. And my first role was portraying a nurse during a yellow fever epidemic in the like late 1700s in Georgia. And that just fascinated me because I think I, I had always, like y'all, had been interested in history, grew up reading like the Dear America Diary series. And, you know, my dad would always have the History Channel on, so I, <laughs> I would just be exposed to it. But it didn't seem like a career path until I connected the dots with living history and then digital media. So yeah, it, it really, I think for anyone interested in starting in museums, like, like you said, Glenn, it just makes sense that find a place you really like, offer the skill set that you do have, or, you know, be enthusiastically willing to learn a new skill. And I think you'll find that pretty quickly opportunities will arise. It's not every day that the big jobs are opening up, but those smaller ones can definitely lead to a bigger role. So I think we, we've all been very fortunate <laughs> in that capacity. And I, and I think too, one of the great things about museums or at least good ones good institutions is that you know if, if you go to school to be an accountant or a lawyer or or anything like that they're hiring you because you do that job you count the beans you create the reports nonprofits in general museums especially are a little different because museums can be so flexible in what they offer and how they offer it and how they interpret the things they interpret whether it's natural history you know, actual history, even those awful art museums, <laughs> um, they're able to take the people that live there, that live there, that work there. We live here. We, yeah, we, yeah, we, we live, live here. We yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, but you're able to say, this person has a really cool talent mm -hmm. or this particular skill set. Are they good at this thing? Let's see if we can use that talent and allow them to grow in that area and head something in that direction. And Again, that's a good institution. That's what they're going to do. Museums are super flexible with individuals and individual skill sets. Yeah, that's something that I've really enjoyed about the smaller museum experience. And, you know, I worked for a startup company for a couple of years. Real interesting experience. <laughs> but in a, in a lot of ways, you know, coming from that kind of environment to this one, there are a lot of positive similarities in that as a startup company and a small team, you can kind of try out ideas and sort of have a trial and error kind of, you know, path toward thinking about programs. And especially for us, 
you know, during the pandemic, <laughs> you know, that was an excellent opportunity to really focus on digital virtual programs and hone those, and we certainly have. But that brings me to think about your time at the History Center and how you brought your specific skill set to the position of executive director. And again, this is very common with small nonprofit museums. Executive director is going to have a lot on their plate and it's not just going to be the fundraising and grant writing you know in your case it's a lot of the education heavy stuff you're still doing living history interpretation so i kind of want to start back at the beginning when th this was new to you as executive director how did you use the skills that you already had and what did you learn along the way uh, the skills that you may not have honed quite yet <laughs> Cool. So when I started, I do think I'm glad because the board at the time, they were taking a chance with me Yeah. because I did not come in. I came in with a minimum of management experience, practically zero fundraising experience, mm -hmm. brand new to the community, didn't know anybody here except, you know, there were a couple friends that we had in Gainesville and that was it. But I did bring in not only an understanding of history, but a passion for it, mm -hmm. which was probably lacking in some of the interpretation that was going on here mm -hmm. at that time. The passion, I mean. I brought in a an appreciation of living history, costumed interpretation that they had never touched or approached here, and I knew how popular that was at other sites yeah. and at other venues and how people of all ages could react so positively to that kind of interpretation. So I'm like, I want to start doing more of this. We also need to start doing family programming outside of school visits and lectures once a month for mm -hmm. adults. And because at the, at the time that was the only programs, there was once a month lecture for adults. And then when school groups would come in, it was usually retired teachers and they would divide the kids up and they would just walk them through the galleries and basically give a gallery tour. And that was all that happened. Yeah. That can work, but it is not a very exciting and engaging model. Yeah. So I had to, and it took a while to, to win people over to this new view of things because it's the classic, but we've done things this way. And when I've been to other museums, they do things this way. And it's like, well, we, we're going to do some different yeah. things. <laughs> and so it took a while to, to win people over and shift some of those responsibilities, start bringing in volunteers, right, who had who had the costumes and the skill sets and, and that sort of thing. And eventually it did start to, to take traction. The first family day, we had 12 people come to it. Oh. <laughs> and they're like, oh, well. I'm like, no, 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 we're digging our heels yeah. in. I'm telling you this will work. Yeah. Those 12 people are going to probably go talk about it. To That's right. And, and today, Libby, you just sent out a message to us. How many yep. people have pre-registered for Family <clears throat> Day this Sunday? 396. And, Woo. and that's just pre-registration. That's pre-registration. <laughs> so, so apparently... How many people can fit inside the History Center? We'll find 6, out. 6,000. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes yeah. you just got to dig your heels in if you know something's going to work yeah. and make it work. Mm -hmm. People were not convinced about the digital studio either, but you weren't here for that. Yeah. They were like, so it's, so you do everything through email? <laughs> you just, wait, so you... So email you, Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, no, it's, it's, and so, you know, part yeah. of the challenge is, it's not just having the vision. Mm -hmm. Lots of people can have a vision. That's a, that's a good vision. You have to be able to convince others of the practicality and usefulness of that vision. Mm -hmm. And then you have to find a way to 
logistically and financially make the vision work. Yeah. That's some of the things that I did learn right. along the way that yeah. I did not possess when I got here, right? right? So so those are some of the skills that I did have to develop. The history stuff, the interpretive stuff. I had a basic skill set. I continued to hone that and that was my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. But then you have to find a way to pull people in who can make it work, whether they're volunteers, interns. You want paid staff that can do that, which means you're going to have to come up with more money, which Mm -hmm. means you're going to have to use your board, go out into the community, have different fundraisers, and bring more and more money in. That's the skill set I had to develop and hone. And I did do that. I think I'm okay at it. But that's one of the things I think is important for me to kind of step aside. I think the institution is at the point now where the only thing holding it back from really taking off in a major way is funding. Right. I'm not that fundraiser. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you say, I think that the baseline of the mission, the stuff that y'all do now that I don't have to do much of, and I kind of just sit back and point and say, yes, excellent idea, Marie. <laughs> well done, Leslie. Libba, that was fantastic. Um, I'm going to go talk to a donor and tell him I did it. Yeah. Um, but y'all have figured that out. You make that go. So... That skill set of mine is perhaps no longer really as crucial as it once was because there are people now that can do that. Mm -hmm. Now we need someone who can go out into the community and create that very positive, massive energy to convince people to give to a wonderful nonprofit organization. That's not me, but someone out there can do that. In fact, if anyone's out there listening and you have (laughs) that particular skill set and enthusiasm, (laughs) do contact us. But yeah, yeah, I mean, that really does relate to a lot of museum professionals, their experience too. I'm sure those who have been in leadership positions that you're learning on the job as as you face one problem, you learn from that (laughs) problem and then that solution is there for you. So it's just, you know, one step at a time. <laughs> That's right. I rem- I'll remember one day that yeah. almost encapsulated everything. This uh-huh. was our, this is before any of y'all got here. Yeah. We were having an exhibit opening for donors. Uh-huh. So we had that day coming a school group that we had to get through, and we had to tweak the exhibit to make it work. And then we had to set up the event and get it ready for the donors to come in and mingle and have wine and cheese and things like that and tell them how great the History Center is. And so in the morning, I'm in a t-shirt and blue jeans, finishing up the exhibit, working on that. Then I got to change real quick. The school group comes in. We do our, at that point, it was, you know, I was just sort of doing a tour of of the cabin and everything and did that. And I'm like, okay, I've got to get these kids out of here because they're going to start setting up and the donors are going to be here soon. Mm -hmm. So I'm hustling the kids out. And the next to last kid, right before he leaves the door, goes, ugh. And proceeds to hurl. Oh no! Right there. No. So I go from making exhibits to giving a tour to cleaning up vomit <laughs> to then setting out the wine, oh, putting my my, my coat and tie on, and then saying, "Hello, how are you? Welcome to the History Center tonight." That was one day. Yeah, that I, I think that perfectly <laughs> encapsulates it. I was going to ask: Is this the one when there was a fire in the parking lot? That was a different one. <laughs> oh, okay. That was it. we were we had a forum, and I was in there, uh, kind of you know greeting people and, and, you know, getting them back to the education center. And someone came in, all kind of fragile, like, there, 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 there's a car on fire. <gasps> a car on fire. And I think my response was, really? <laughs> and then I kind of leaned over and looked uh-huh. out the window, and I couldn't see the car on fire, but I could see, you know, oh, the reflection no. of flames off yeah. of trees and buildings. I'm oh, like, no. 
y'all excuse me for just a moment. And I grabbed the extinguisher and I went out there and I just put the car fire wow. out. Wow. Wow. So, Came uh, back in, ran the forum. Because yeah. oh the show must go on. Do you remember what that forum was about? I don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not on your mind. I'm also interested because it sounds like this was a one-man show. How many full-time people were there when you got here? When I got here, there was me and a lady named Julie Carson, who at that point was, and I'm using air quotes, just an admin. Mm-hmm. That was it. Uh-huh. That was the paid staff. Wow. Now, Julie had had a degree in education. Mm-hmm. And so, again, what I started to do, I'm like, well, you know, you're, you're good at the admin stuff, but why don't you start working with the docents and kind of tweaking their presentation on how they take people through the galleries and start working on this program and building up. And so she did that, and she was good at that. She was great with people, had the education degree that wasn't being used as an admin, but I started using that. Right. And so, yeah, for the first several years, it was just the two of us, paid staff. We relied more on the board than as volunteers, Mm -hmm. as actual, you know, people to do everything. Yeah. But the goal always was, and as time went by, to quote unquote professionalize the History Center, to Mm -hmm. move the board more into that realm of policy, strategy, and fundraising so that they wouldn't have to do the things that were operational so that we could get people who knew what they were doing, who, who were paid staff to come in and start doing, you know, totally focused on education, yeah. totally focused on the gift shop and, and front desk things and things like that. So it's it has definitely been an evolution for the institution. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because I'm trying to think how many... So there's four full-time people around the table. There's Lee upstairs. Eight, eight. Did we really have eight? And wow. four of them were interns first. That's yeah, right. That's, that's right. A 50% yeah. success rate. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, you sort of went over the things that you brought to the History Center and the things that you learn, have learned along the way. I'd like to go around the table and just talk about that for us. Uh, I mean, yeah. Marie, you brought your vast experience with interpretation to the History Center as well as your knowledge of fashion history, which really, as I've watched many of your programs now, I see it's not just those textiles that are... that. You can learn so much about the culture. It's social history. Yeah, exactly. So talk to us. What was your experience like? You know, you were fresh out of college. Or you're still in college, I think, when you accepted this position. Take us back to (laughs) three years ago when you accepted this position and what you brought to the History Center and what you've learned along the way. Yeah, so... Like I said, I started being a historical interpreter here for Family Days freshman year. And then... Continue to do that every month or so. And then it was the pandemic hit. Uh-huh. And that's, I was actually, so I, there was one family day that I think actually Leslie was putting on about women's work in yeah. March. And y'all wanted me to be here, but it was my senior spring break. And I went with my friends to Disney World and Universal. So I wasn't there. But it was on that trip where Glenn emailed me and was like, can you send me your resume? And I was like, when I get home from Disney, yes, I can. Ooh, what was that feeling like? I bet that and was, I was exciting. Like, Ooh, well, that's exciting. I don't know because I remember the last family day I was there, I was alone with you in the elevator. And I said, so I'm graduating soon. Um, do you think there's a position for me here at the History Center? And you're like, mm, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We're looking for some again, someone to fundraise. You're, you're yeah, still yeah, looking for right. someone then for that. We're always looking for that. <laughs> <laughs> but you're like, I don't know. We'll see. But then, yeah, so you, you didn't say what it was for, but you were just like, just send me your resume. And I was like, okay. So I get home from Disney, and I had brought my laptop, so I was like, yes, I'm going to type that out. And 
when I got back, basically the pandemic hit that Friday yeah. before like all of that happened. So then that kind of set everything into a tailspin for a half second. Mm-hmm. And then we started doing virtual programming yeah. like every single day. Mm-hmm. So y'all had me come in and do a lot of those virtual programs. And then kind of over the course of that, we, we met and had some interviews and whatnot about if, you know, the, the position that was open, which ended up being the director of education position. So I think it was the day after my last final, I started here. Wow. So <laughs> I, you know, I think I had been offered the job like the week before that, but I didn't start until right. like... I was Can't like, start next week. I'm graduating. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually the day before or two days before because May 6th and my official quote unquote graduation that didn't happen because COVID yeah. was on May 8th. So yeah. I actually started here before I quote unquote graduated. Right, right. I never had... My graduation actually happened in October because uh-huh. COVID is yeah. weird. But yeah, so that's how I, I started here. And I had a lot of knowledge about like interpretation, but I had not branched out a lot of my interpretation. I had like my areas that I was very comfortable in. So I learned about interpreting and putting together different eras and how that needed to, to kind of go about in a quicker way because my way of putting it together was much slower and mm-hmm. kind of built over a long series of time. And uh-huh. I was like, oh no, no, we need this like in a few weeks. Right. So I had to figure out how to like, condense the the process of putting together living history and performance which was was difficult just like figuring out how to do that in, in a more time-pressed environment yeah but I feel like I've, I've come to to figure out a, a method for myself of, of how to do that now but yeah just putting together programming I had no idea that GSEs existed uh-huh. that, um, that's, the, that's the Georgia standards of excellence which the public school systems adhere to for their curriculum standards. yeah I went to a private school so what are yeah. GSEs? Right. Um, <laughs> we were able to do whatever the you heck learn we what wanted. You learn what you want. Yeah. Exactly. Which, I mean, like, a lot of it's similar. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I just had to – I learned all about the GSEs and what goes with what grade and how our standards are and how our programming works with standards. And for – I think it was, like, almost the first couple of years, we focused a lot on virtual. Yeah. And then the last year, we switched to in-person, mm-hmm. which was a fun shift because I was like, oh, I haven't – done this right like I feel like I have because I've been here but like really hadn't Mm -hmm. so figuring out godly like you know like the programming down at that point but now I was like oh wait now we just have to make people like be here and logistically work yeah so how does that work so that was more of a trial and error by experience yeah how else are you supposed and then also we kept growing yes so we we, you know usually we were super happy we had like over 100 people for family day and now, what, we're having, like, 400 pre-registered. We had 600 people, 638 people yeah. here for the last homeschool day. Yes. So, so we we're... continue to adjust <laughs> and learn about logistics yeah. of moving around humans. Yeah, I mean, it's been a it's been a wonderful problem to yes. have um, for such a small museum. And, yeah, I mean, just uh, your, your growth as a professional, I've definitely witnessed that, too. Yeah. I know that you've learned a lot from Glenn as mm-hmm. well and interpretation and all those logistics of large groups of field trips and everything so again i think that probably speaks to a lot of other people's experience where they are learning on the job and like glenn was saying you have that flexibility of like knowing what your strong skills are and then also just having the opportunity to learn new skills Mm -hmm. in the position and being you know enthusiastic about it so that's you know for anybody looking to to hire (laughs) in museums like I feel like oftentimes you can really trust your gut in a sense because you have to work well as a small team. You have to have that enthusiasm and that passion for the mission so that it's always in focus and that 
you are going to get people that have really strong skills and then others that you know they're going to develop over time and just seeing that trajectory is a is a real reward in itself too so leslie now you like you said you started as an intern but talk to us about what you brought to the history center as an intern and what you've learned as our archives and collections manager i think one of the big differences is i didn't have any experience yet I was doing the internships for Glenn and he was showing me all the different options you have to work in a museum setting. And then one day, I think it was a year in, we went down to the archives. I hadn't even heard of it. He's like, you want to go down the archives? Maybe you could work on that. And I went in there and it was like I was home. Oh, <laughs> just surrounded by old things. Yeah. <laughs> it took me a year to get her there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just opened the door one day and was like, here it is. It's like, hi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I had no experience going in. I had no idea what I was doing, but Glenn taught me a lot of things. Uh, we also had one of his friends from the Atlanta History Center come in and teach me some things, and I, I think I'm getting better at it. Oh, absolutely. Sure. I, I would say more than better. I mean, y'all, if you saw the archives before Leslie got here compared to now, I mean, it's a world of difference. Yes. And it's so yeah. awesome now that we can also just, like, if, if we have a program about something and we know that we have an artifact that is related, it's so much easier to find that, uh, to have it cataloged and documented. It's... It's really nice. It's all in my brain here. If you ask me what artifact, I can go grab it. Yeah, yeah. So you really fell in love with just the, the research side. The, the I mean, what, what is it about the archives that really means a lot to you? So I know Glenn always says there's a difference between archives and collections. And I'm more into archives because it's more personal. Mm -hmm. It's photographs and letters and things. And you get to learn about the person as you read or as you research. Oh, so I really, really enjoyed that, and that's how we got into the NC White Project. Yeah, and if you could give listeners just a, a brief overview, because I bet that's probably the main project where you actually learned and, and put to use all of these skills that you were being taught. So, I mean, some of those particular skills, what did you learn through the NC White Photography Project that you didn't know previously? That also was the first time I really got to do curating, right? Because the other two exhibits were kind of, you know, my budget was, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Another common <laughs> yes. in nonprofits. Here's a number. Yeah. We actually had a budget this time, yeah. so that helped a lot. Um, I had six interns that summer yeah. um, help me out doing research. We went to Bernal and looked up yearbooks to get students' names. We interviewed people that are in town. We tried to research all the photos we could. I mean, it was a lot of research. And I think I really thrive in that since I've gotten my master's. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I mean, there's also things that you learned just about the the protection of these artifacts. Could you talk to us a little bit about the techniques that you learned? Yeah. So I actually got advice from the Eastman Kodak Museum to store the nitrate negatives. If people don't know nitrate, is it could literally spontaneously combust at any yeah. minute if it's in the wrong temperature. <laughs> These things really exciting. <laughs> so they taught me how to store those. We now have a freezer where it's all packed in until we can scan them and then do something else with them. I guess I have to figure that out now that Glenn won't be here. I got to figure it out on my own. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but proper storage of the negatives, how to clean the negatives, how to make sure that they stay preserved, especially when we have guests, if they want to see some of their family members. That's mm -hmm. one of the most rewarding things from that exhibit. Yeah. 
I would say for myself, you know, I joined the History Center as a part-time media producer, pretty much just to help edit video programs and host the very brand new live webcasts, which I was super excited about. And um, I was really excited to come back to the museum field and come back home. I was working for that startup company in Connecticut for a few years and came back here and I think that you know the skills that I brought were my theater background, writing background, writing scripts. I focused my theater degree on playwriting in particular. So, and I also had done quite a lot of research for my senior project, which was all about the Phoenix City, Alabama mafia in the nineteen <laughs> really early nineteen hundreds, nineteen fifties, writing a script that would go over that story. And um, so I had that inkling for history and that interest, but. Coming here, you know, bringing the the theater background, I really connected with the living history model and thought that was just so unique. And just seeing the reactions from the kids on the webcast, I just knew this was something really cool that we could offer and that it could get even better over time. And the pandemic, like we were saying earlier, really offered that space and time to focus solely on virtual programming. And, you know, if you take a look at like our first program during the pandemic to the <laughs> most recent one. I mean, we've learned so much about live streaming, about what kind of visual effects we can have, what kind of ways we can interact with audiences live or offer something that people can enjoy anytime. Just coming back to our YouTube channel, which I think has, oh, I mean, there's like 400 videos on our YouTube channel. At now. least. Yeah, at least. <laughs> we've done quite a lot. And that's something I really appreciated was just that flexibility again. We all have that passion for the mission, passion for history, enthusiasm about learning new skills, and we get the opportunity to actually, you know, learn them on the job. And that's a really exciting thing. It, it can be very challenging sometimes, but once you have those successes and you see how far we've come, uh, especially with, with all of us, you know, in the time that we've been here, even in the last five years or so. I mean, there's been tremendous growth. And that's something I want to get your perspective on now, Glenn, is just thinking about those early days and where we are now. As executive director, what are the things that you're most proud of in your time here? This is the toot your horn time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, I don't know. I think one of the things I'm most proud of is y'all. Because, <laughs> because I do expect a lot from folks. Because I look for, like you're talking about, I look for flexibility and adaptability. Mm -hmm. You know, you can, I can hand you a book on how to plan an, an educational program and include all the interpretive factors, like Marie has done. But yeah. I can't show you how to manage 300 people and set up the chairs and handle traffic flow and organize the square system at the front desk to best check in pre-registration. <laughs> I can't show Leslie how to move 50 metal shells into one place and then the other without hurting the objects. I can't show Libba how to operate Streamlabs, push this cable into this place and make sure that it operates with Zoom and, and all the things. Y'all yeah. have learned to do that because you're adaptable, flexible people. And making sure that you surround yourself with those people is one of the things that makes all the successes possible. And I'm not just saying that because this is my last podcast. Yeah. But, you know, I think, so getting good people in here to do things, because when I came here, I could see the potential of this place. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just a place to have wine and cheese receptions and galleries where retired people 
took bored third graders through. Right. There was so much more that could be done. And even the exhibit galleries, which was my one of my great strengths when I came here, they were very poorly organized. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, all respect to the people who actually built the building right. and got the place going, but there was a lot of work that needed to be done just in the way the exhibits were presented, the way the, the flow patterns went, the way the text panels were interpreted. I still don't have all that done. Apparently, I never will now. But, um, <laughs> you know, making the exhibits work and building the educational program mm -hmm. to be very exciting and get people involved and get people excited about coming out to an event to learn about history on a Tuesday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon, you know, to take time out of their day but look forward to coming here. Getting the digital studio here, that was something else. Building up the Freedom Garden to, to something that we can, uh, you know, be proud of with the veterans. Yeah, I mean, there's there's just so many things looking back at how things were at the very beginning. And, you know, it's funny. I don't think at first the board that hired me, number one, I don't think they thought I was going to be here long. Yeah. Because <laughs> they had just been through two relatively quick rotations of executive directors. Yeah. Uh, and, and Lib, I've shown you this. They hired a new executive director, and they announced it on page three of the newsletter. <laughs> That's pretty funny. So, yeah, I mean, I mean it is. I've, yeah. I, have, I have made a picture. That's one of those yeah. things I'm going to like, you know, put, I'm going gonna, gonna to frame and, yeah. and, and put as a, as a memory. Yeah. And I think they didn't think I had a vision because I hadn't explained to them. I had learned how to explain what that vision was. Yeah. But over the course of a few years, and they started to pick up on, ah, ah, okay. And so, you know, pulling the board along getting y'all here, fixing the exhibits, growing this educational program, kicking and screaming into the 21st century. Yeah. <laughs> and getting word out into the community that we are here. Yeah. That we are not, school groups are still an incredibly important part and we're working with different people now trying to get more school groups in here, but yeah. that's not just what museums do. Museums are supposed to be engaging pillars of the communities in which they reside so that they can serve those communities in a variety of different ways. And that is what I think we have been able to come through in the last 15 years, from just being a place that holds old stuff to being that center of the community. I totally see that. And, you know, I to have that perspective of when you got here versus now, I mean, we don't have that perspective, but all of us here have seen tremendous growth just in the time that we've been here. I mean, for me, like the, the fact that we've had, we've reached about 20,000 students and that's a low estimate because of just the way that our, our numbers were in the very beginning. So, you know, through our digital studio, I mean, reaching 20,000 students through just our webcast alone. And then, you know, with the pandemic, that was our time where we really reached a national and, and an international right. <laughs> audience. Yes, we still, and something, you know, we recently had our, our, our last lo-fi history program with you as well, yeah. Glenn. And just to have folks still joining us, like, you know, David from Wales, Terry from Iowa. Freed from Germany. Freed from Germany, you know. The uh, Burkharts, Olivian. Gavin yeah. from New York. Yeah, yeah from New And York. locally, Joshua, yes. who still comes to family days. Yes, you know, there's all of these, like, personal connections that we've oh. been able to make, and I think that's probably the thing that I, I think it's sort of the heart of the museum, and I honestly think a lot of that has to do with you, Glenn, because you've set that stage. You know, when people visit the History Center, they are 
immediately attracted to your enthusiasm and of course your costume i'm sure sure. (laughs) (laughs) and the things that go boom but it's your passion that really draws people here and i think that's infectious and that's certainly been you know just when you enter the history center it's a place of positivity it's a place of like your excitement you're excited to learn and you know I, i think that takes a leader like you to set the tone of the history center so I've definitely seen that. I don't know if y'all have anything to speak to that uh, as I well. I think it was funny because when I first started here, first of all, it was a pandemic and yeah. we didn't have people here physically. Right. <laughs> so you didn't get to experience that. You know, you had as an interpreter, but yes. you know. So like, but for months we were completely shut down mm-hmm. and we like weren't allowing people in our doors yeah. for safety concern reasons. And then it's been a slow kind of build up and return. So I feel like I really saw it from nothing to... 600 people here yeah. in one day yeah. but i remember really early when i was here we would like order food in mm-hmm. and we every single time like the delivery person would come in or and anytime we ordered a package they were like oh my gosh this place is so cool i didn't know it was here yeah. and we kind of made it an inside joke it was like oh well, we should just like keep ordering things and that'll be our marketing <laughs> strategy <laughs> is getting people here but i was just thinking about it and i was like recently we haven't had that happen yeah, yeah. You know, I, people huh, are starting to yeah, know because people about us. exactly people are starting to recognize that we exist. And I was just thinking about how many people we've had through our doors since January first, yeah. twenty twenty three. Yeah. I mean, right now it's just it's early March, and I we've had over a thousand people here. Yeah, easy, yeah. which is re- which is great for us, like in that time frame, mm-hmm. um, like through our physical doors, and that's not counting how many people we reached yeah. online or virtually or through our podcast or anything. Exactly. Yeah. So you've you've seen that growth as well. Yeah. I mean, and Leslie, you've overseen our internship program, so maybe you can speak to just the growth of that too. So when I started here, Glenn just basically said, you have the job. And I didn't even know I could take lunch breaks. <laughs> I didn't. I, I didn't You're talking know. about your internship. Yes. Oh, okay. oh, oh, as I do intern. now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he would go into his room and I just had to figure out what to do from there. I told, um, I'll give you basic guidance. <laughs> It's no offense to you, but the internship program was a little bit lacking in the fact that they didn't know we were here, like Bernie said, but once I started the internship program, I would go to University of North Georgia that's close by. I would talk to all the universities, just letting them know we're here, and we went from, it was one, I was the only intern for two years. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. The one intern, and I think just recently we've gotten up to 35. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Total. Yeah. Total, yeah. of course. Yeah, not at one time. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, we have three, four right now? Three, uh, four? Yes, we have one, two, three, uh, three at least. Yeah. yeah. Do you have an interview? I just interviewed one yesterday. Oh, fun. Yes, fun. Uh, and she was really nice. So we're going to extend her uh, the offer for the internship. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. And we just started graduate internships too, so it's gotten very big and i'm really proud of it yeah yeah that's how you grow museum babies is you you get the interns and then you turn them into other museum people yes Yes, now they're staff yeah (laughs) yeah or you send them on like you know some of the first ones like amanda oh yeah went down to florida and now she's the executive director at the museum of magic Ooh, that's fun so yeah we've gotten some of those amelia has gone on or she is going to pursue her master's degree i believe yeah in england in england of all places very cool very cool of course our interns both 
Former interns Ruth and Diana now lead our Gainesville Reads Children's Reading Program, and they have just been nothing but fantastic. So Lee is our front desk museum services manager. Yes. She was my intern twice. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, again, if you're interested, <laughs> become a volunteer or an intern. And, you know, uh, I guess you were talking about those specific people that have meant a lot to you, whether they're viewers or visitors here. Could you talk to us about some memories that you've had of, you know you've made an impression in that person's life or that child's life. I mean, what even in a general sense, I mean, take us back to those scenes, those memories. Gosh, in mind. you know, I, it's, it's hard to do for me, actually. I'm always very humbled and flattered, but maybe a little shocked, <laughs> too, when I get, you know, the emails from folks. It's like, Man, you know, during the pandemic, it made such a difference. Thank you for being there. And uh, they talk about this all the time. Yeah. And they loved your costume. Because I, I guess when I'm in the moment, I don't think about that. Mm-hmm. What I'm thinking about is, how am I going to get that person or this group of people excited about history? Yes. So I am, when I do my interpretation, I am very much living in the moment. Yeah. I don't know if that's the best way to do it. It's, it's how I do it. I'm in that moment, and I'm trying to get them engaged and at least live you know, in the in that experience yeah. right there. My hope is, you know, I always close up with, you know, and go read more and do this research and, and there's lots more out there. There's places you can go and websites you can visit. And uh, I guess I never really know if they follow if they follow up on that or not. But over the years coming to have people come back and say, This has made a difference. Thank you for that. I don't know, I'm about to tear up just thinking mm-hmm. about it because one or at least I wonder if I ever really made a difference, been here 15 years, yes, but what, I know, don't give me that look, Leslie, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder what did it all mean, you know, because when you leave a place, you've been in this, this long, you have that, not only introspection, or at least I have that doubt, what have I done, did it make a difference, what could I have done differently, should I have done more, right, I told Libby the other day, when we were doing a walkthrough, I was trying to show her where all the the switches and the leaks were, and what keys worked where, and I'm looking through the exhibits. I'm like, God, I, I, I meant to fix that. You know, I was I was totally going to do that, and I realized how much there is left to do that I personally set myself to do, and I didn't do it. Well, the thing is, so, though, I, I do want to say that, I mean, as an executive director that takes on so many other roles because that's what will fulfill the mission, and we all bring more than our job description to it but i mean i know that from our perspective i mean the the priority of course is that child or that visitor's experience you know and they they're not going to see the things that you specifically see in the exhibits that oh i need to do that i need to do that but you know when they are meeting us and you as like the enjoying our living history programs and really engaging with that I guess from our perspective, we can certainly share that there's just been time and time and time and time again that people have just been surprised, I think, by how high quality the educational programs are, but also I think by our excitement and our enthusiasm because, you know, there's still that stereotype of stuffy historians or museum you walk around and and just, oh, it's just a bunch of dates and names, but it's not, it's, it's a story and the ability to connect, you know, that child to a piece of their history 
I mean, we get comments all the time from you folks about, and we read them and we, you know, we save them because it's motivating for us. We save the nice ones. <laughs> but, you know, it's been, it's been a long time since we've gotten any kind of like. A, a skating? Skating. Like, you know, I can't here, even but, really. But here's remember. the thing. Oh, I can't. Maybe, I mean, <laughs> maybe, again, maybe, this is, this is probably just me. I think I tend to look at the less positive, even the skating ones a little more closely. Yeah. Because I'm like, okay, what are they really saying? Yeah. You know, and sometimes people are like, I didn't like that. You're dumb and you're <laughs> stupid. And, and I'm like, I, you know, I, I realize they're just they're just venting their spleen and, uh -huh. and that and that's fine. But you know, I always like, okay, what are what are they really saying? Should I have? Is there a different way? That I could do the thing that I do, reach that person that yeah. would reach that person, or people like them, and yeah. make and make them get that aha moment, mm -hmm. you know. And, and how, you know, I'm not going to totally flip over what I do yeah. for one review or something like that. But I'm like, you know what? How can I take that to improve what I do, what we do? And that's here? you know, that's exactly that's, what we've done, and that's what know, we've done. Yeah, and yeah. it's and, and I'm you know, it sounds like I'm focusing on the negative. I'm not because the, the positive ones you do you do want to print well, those out and frame those, right? Well, I'm just thinking about our our most recent feedback survey that oh, we, yeah. we sent out, and it was for our well, at least the ones that I did was for our medieval homeschool day where you were our yeoman farmer, mm -hmm. and every single person. If it wasn't almost every single person who filled that out said their favorite thing that they saw that day was the yeoman farmer yes. and his shovel. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I do they, like that shovel. <laughs> they, they love the yeoman farmer. And I think it was there was a homeschool group of moms who turned you into a meme. Oh, yes. That's, that's right. So, <laughs> you, had a, you had a refrain. A of, catchphrase. A yeah. catchphrase. What was it? Because it's, because too, it's ex too expensive. Yes. yes. So, you can, <laughs> so you might uh, out there, I, I don't know, if, some, if, if they put it out into the public, we might go viral with uh, Glenn as a human medieval farmer yeah. with his hand held high and his shovel yes. in hand, you know. It's because it's too expensive. It's not only from history. It's what you tell your staff when they ask if they can spend money. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Like, oh, yeah. But yeah, uh, but, yeah and I'm yeah. just thinking back to like some of the, you know, especially during the pandemic, we've had people specifically come to visit us and to I visit know. you and from, yeah. their history teacher from yeah. far away. Yeah, See, you're making it hard now. This is this is why this was the hardest decision of my life right. because this does mean a lot to me. But I began to wonder if I was holding on too tight. Does that make sense? Sure, sure. Yeah, well, I, I think that's something that you want in an executive director and a leader and someone who, like you said, if you feel like, all right, I've brought this place as far as I feel that I can take it. And of course, you're also considering just where you are in your life personally right. and what you need, you know, and finding, you know, making that decision. Definitely. I can see that being, you know, a difficult decision because of how much I know how much joy this place has brought you, how much stress it's also brought well. you, but you know, I, I do know, I just feel so confident about the future of the History Center, and I know that you're still going to be around. That's right. And listen, I feel confident, too. If I didn't, I probably wouldn't leave. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, honestly. Yeah, right? yeah. Because if I thought there was still something I could do, I would stay. But Yeah. But, um, you know, and yeah, in the, in the grand scheme of things, I know, I know that the, the History Center is in a good place. It's ready to go further. And, you know, again, for me, you know, I, I'm, there's no question I'm going to miss this. Yeah. But... I have, you know, I'm very much looking forward to my new gig mm -hmm. with Forum Communications yeah. and taking on something totally new because yeah. something else, something else I realized about myself when I turned 50 is that going through life, I realized that 
looking back, not going through, but looking back yeah. at things, I was like, you know, I have done a lot of cool things in my life. I've done the reenactments. I've done the joust, you know, and, but at a certain point, even with all those things that were so important and central in my life, I would get to a point where I'm like, I've done that. Yeah, right. I've, I've done it. Yeah. I, was, I, was, I was pretty good at it. What's next? Yeah. What else can I do? I did that with reenactments. I did that with the joust. Now I'm doing that with a history center. Yeah. You know, I've, I've done that. I've proved that I can do it. It grew me a lot. I grew that a lot. Now I need to find something else to keep growing. So that's, you know, again, from that personal perspective, that's what's motivated this change a lot too. Yeah. Well, let's conclude with what are your hopes for the history center? Oh my gosh. A fundraiser who brings in $3 million a year. You hear that folks? <laughs> <laughs> At least. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's, you know, the part of being the executive director at a place means that in the at the end of the day, you are responsible for making sure everything gets funded because the mission is the most crucial thing. And having the staff to carry out that mission is the crucial thing. But you have to have money to keep the lights on and money to pay that staff. And that means that the executive director is always thinking about where is the next dollar going to come from? Do we really need to spend that other dollar that we've been talking about spending? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that that does, does wear on someone a fair bit. And that has made me reflect on how important fundraising can be for the place. So one of the hopes is it's, that's what's one of the goals in our strategic plan every year, you know, financial sustainability, yeah. getting that financial sustainability from the new executive director. You know, Lib is interim, but I think the fundraising part is probably why you're interim. Yep. Because <laughs> <laughs> that, that does take someone, that that takes a certain skill set. So financial sustainability, number one goal, because along with that comes everything else. Yeah. If you've got, it, it's like life too, right? If you're financially stable, you don't worry about anything else. You can focus on all the good stuff. That's yeah. what I want for the History Center. Once that is achieved, I want to see y'all and whoever else y'all drag onto the team see what other things you can do. You know, there are other edu educational venues outside of straight living history mm -hmm. and museum theater. There's a lot of different ways you can teach, object-driven, story-driven, mm -hmm. tactile engagement-driven, yeah. and to see what y'all have to do. I'm very flattered by the fact that when I made this announcement and since, since those weeks, everyone's like, <gasps> what are we going to do? I think one of my hopes is that in a couple of years' time, everyone looks back and goes, why didn't we do that sooner? Mm. If, why don't we get rid of Glenn sooner? <laughs> look, look where we're at now. <laughs> if we had just made this change or he had, you know, if, we, if, if he had agreed to make this change sooner, we could have already been at this point. That's what I hope the History Center is able to achieve in the, in the next years, is looking back and saying, you know what, that was a, we're sad to see Glenn go, but that was a fantastic turning point, and it was the perfect time for it. And look at us now. That's what I want the History Center to be able to do. Well, thank you, Glenn. Thank you. I mean, we wish you all the best, and we know we are definitely going to have you back as a guest, at <laughs> at least on, on the podcast, on programs. We already have you coming back at least once. Yes, least, yes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah, if you want to join us for our homeschool day coming up, Glenn's yes. going to be a Roman legionnaire. That's right. <laughs> But yeah, yeah. That, that's up to y'all. You know, I am always happy to come back as I can 
mm-hmm. and do all the history things. I just I can't do it every day because yep. I'll have this new job, folks. Yeah. <laughs> um, but whenever I'm around, it'll be like a fantastic homecoming. Yeah. Well, you've been a tremendous influence on all of us. And I, like I said before, I'm very excited for the future that you've really laid out for us. So we appreciate your confidence in all of us. And, uh, and yeah, I think we're going to be all right because you've made it so. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Now, for any listeners, I mean, we we are ending on that note of, you know, really trying to sustain us financially. And if, if you're interested in, in learning more about how you can do that, I mean, of course, you can always donate. There will be a link in the episode description if you just want to make a one-time donation or a recurring donation. But really, the best way to support us is to become a member. Our members, I've really enjoyed getting to know our membership community, especially because so many more people are coming to the History Center and we have so many awesome programs. You know, as a member of the History Center, you're not only getting free admission to Mm -hmm. see our historic structures, the White Path Cabin, our special exhibits that are always rotating, and of course our permanent exhibits, but we're hosting way more events and programs now, like our homeschool days, that you would get free admission to those our forums uh, for adult programs. And of course, we have plenty of special programs throughout the year. Of course, one of our big ones uh, coming up in August is our fashion show, historic fashion show, which is going to be so much fun. We're bringing up Valentine's Day teas that you can get discounts on for tickets to that as a member. So that information will be in the description as well. But I don't know, maybe, maybe you want to make a donation of at least $15 in Glenn's honor to celebrate 15 years at the History Center. Every little bit counts, but we so appreciate your support and all of the wonderful comments and well wishes that you've sent, Glenn. I know you've been reading through them uh, in the comment section, but if you would like to send any kind of special note of farewell to Glenn, feel free to email us. That'll also be in the episode description. But with that, anything else to say, ladies? You have to know that we wouldn't be where we are without you, right? That we're going to be good. We're going to be okay. I know you'll be okay. Sure. Yeah. Oh, accept it, Glenn. Accept (laughs) that you have an excellent leader. So, so let it be written. Yeah. Also, this is just farewell. It's not goodbye. Exactly. Right. It's us sending you off. Fare thee well on your new journey, but also you can always come home to the history center. Yes. Yes, Exactly. Like this, totally will always be a second home for you, for sure. I sure hope so. Well, thanks, everyone. We will be back with another episode of Then Again. And in the future, we'll have Glenn again (laughs) 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 to see how you're doing and, uh, of course, nerd out with you. Oh, absolutely. All right, everybody. Take care. See ya. Bye. Then Again is a production of the Cottrell Digital Studio at the Northeast Georgia History Center. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps other people discover the show. There are a few great ways to support the History Center. Make a donation online by clicking the Donate button on our website at www.negahc.org. Become a digital member to receive exclusive invites to members-only live streams every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern. And you can register on our membership page at www.negahc.org. We also have an online gift shop with lots of great items for all ages. Use promo code THENAGAIN for 15% off your online order. Valid on anything except memberships and handmade items. We'll see you next week for another episode of Then Again. Thanks, y'all.